there was something about him that you could just tell that he wasn't going to waver from his values and how he felt. I believe that your personal life and your professional life are inherently linked. And when you do the work on both sides, you can become the most successful version of yourself. This is a place where wisdom meets leadership, where success meets spirituality. Welcome to Do the Work with Denise Love Hewitt. So today we are doing something a little bit different on this episode. In November, I lost my longtime manager. And I've been having a long think about the best way to honor him and the person he was and who he was in my life. And I have the deep privilege today of having his wife, Kim, here with me to celebrate him um, his work ethic, his ethos, his purpose. Um, he believed in me at a time when not a lot of people did. And it was a big deal. It was a big deal that he said yes to managing me because everyone wanted him to be their manager. And I always used to joke, I used to joke, I was like, I don't know why he manages me. I, I'm like this least, like I give him the least amount of money, right? Like everyone else, he makes so much more money from other people. But it's true. And I was like, I always was like, I just felt so blessed. It felt like such a blessing to have someone who had my back, who was willing to build with me. Um, and, you know, it's a loss to the world that he's no longer with us. I mean, I believe spiritually he's still with us and he's here. But um, thank you so much for trusting me with this space and to do this with me because I just, he, he deserves the world and I just you know want to give him whatever platform and space I can thank you for having me I would not have done this with anybody else I'm gonna be honest <laughs> so I mean the love that you have for me and my family you've always shown it we've always been appreciative even during quarantine when we used to have our parties like you know that was really fun so I'm happy to be here and thank you for doing this. This is very special to me. Yeah. Well, I know you guys have been together forever, 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 ever. And I would love to share like your origin story because I know you've had a long history, but I don't think I even know how you guys met and, you know, decided to build a life together. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. So I actually met him on, well, I came upon him on MySpace. <laughs> believe it or not um a friend had showed me his page remember everybody used to do like those surveys on myspace so we would be in class and she would always be laughing at this guy's page i'm like what is so funny and so um she showed me his page and i was like oh okay so i started like you know um following him and you know laughing just as much as she was laughing and everything um, but the odd part about it was I, um, had met him in person before and just didn't remember. <laughs> and I had given him the wrong number. <laughs> so, um, he had to, so wait, he had asked for your number. Uh, he, yeah, we had met, uh, we were both out shopping. 
we were actually in Bergdorf Goodman. I don't know whose money I was spending, but <laughs> um, he, you know, tried to talk to me and asked me for my number, and I gave him the wrong number. I don't know why. <laughs> but, um, you know, when we got to the MySpace part, um, I had messaged him because he had a picture on his page, and I wanted to take it and put it on my page. So me being the respectful person that I am, I'm like, hey, can I use this picture? And he's like, no. And then he deleted the picture from off of his page. <laughs> so I went back because I was like, I'm just going to take it. Like, that was weird for you even asking. Just People copy other people's stuff all the time, right? And so I went back to get the picture and it was gone. So I said, you know, it was really childish of you to delete the picture. I understand what no means. I wouldn't have taken it. I was lying. But <laughs> he's like, no, what was childish was you giving me the wrong number when I asked you for your number. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, oh, shoot, I definitely did. <laughs> so, you know, we just, from there, we just started talking, and he was, you know, really cool. We didn't talk a lot, but, you know, we talked enough, and I got familiar with the work that he did and, um, you know, managing and promoting the artists that he was working with at the time. And just Brooklyn is really small, so I just kept bumping into him after that point. And he was just like, you know, a nice guy that, I would see, and I'm, you know, was intrigued a little bit. I, he definitely had all the flash that he still had. He was always like that. And so um, eventually we set a date and we went out and we had our first date at Junior's. <laughs> and I paid, which was That's hilarious. Right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I didn't pay a, a day after that. <laughs> yeah, of course. He was testing you. I think he was so impressed. Yeah, he was so impressed that I was like, no, I got it. And I paid for it the whole date. And he was like, what? <laughs> so, um, you know, we just always felt like, you know, we had these two kids from Brooklyn. He had a star quality I, that I saw. I'm sure he, ha I have a star quality that he saw on me. And we just kept coming back together, kept coming back together. Um, you know, we're like, like I said, we were both young. So there were little patches where we were just like, what? No, I'm not talking to him anymore. And then he would always come back. <laughs> So, yeah, that's pretty much how we started. We started off as friends. Um, we were friends for about maybe a year before we started dating. It's the best way. You build, like, a good foundation. Good yeah. And I yeah. think you guys really yeah. had the ability to grow together. But what I've always admired about your relationship is the ability to shine on each partner in equal measure. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely was. It was a battle at first, you know, because the both of us were entering industries where you are considered a celebrity, right? Like managers are not the talent, so they're not technically the celebrities, but you have to know everyone. And it's the same thing with hairstylists. Like I'm not a celebrity, but I know a lot of people because I am in a space where people hold me dear, right? Because I'm their hairstylist. And so it did come to a point where we were just like, all right. The both of us can't be everywhere all the time, especially after we had Brooke. It was just like, all right, somebody has to chill. So in the beginning, when I first had Brooke, he was at home. He had her every single day. I didn't have to pay. We didn't have to pay for daycare or anything for Brooke until she was about nine months old. And then his first tour happened and it was like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Because <laughs> he was gone for like, a, he was gone for a month, a whole month. Um, I had just gotten, I, we had just gotten a new apartment. 
we had a baby. She got to go to daycare. I have to go to work. Like it was just a lot to juggle. But once I did that first month, I was like, okay, I can, I can do this. Um, but then also I'm getting booked for weddings now. And so people want to fly me to Florida and the Bahamas. And that's when I kind of was like, all right, who is going to sit down? <laughs> Somebody has to sit down. Yeah. So it was a big sacrifice, but I don't regret making it. Um, I can always be a hairstylist. I can always, uh, you know, I can pick up a comb and start all over again. And, and I can hit the same trajectory that I was on before. Um, but in the music industry, you have to strike it while the iron's hot. And so I was just like, listen, you seem to be heading towards what you said you wanted to do. Let's just explore it and move forward from there. One of the things I've always really admired about Hove is the way he carried himself, which was just, he is like pure love, like everything good. Um, I knew this was gonna happen. I knew when they started talking to you, I'd be like bawling. Um, But everything he did and the way he operated in the world was like of good values, good ethics, kindness, paying it forward, which we don't really see a lot of in most industries, frankly, like most people are out for themselves. And he just always, even if he didn't take people on as a manager, he supported them, he gave them advice. He like, you know, it was like no person was too small for him to give space to. Right, Um, yeah. And which is hard in that business because, you know, it's hard. You just like you, it, there's a lot of shiny objects. People tend to lose themselves. Why do you think he was able to stay so grounded amidst like all his success? Um, I think a large part of it has to do with where he came from. Uh, he comes from a neighborhood called Brownsville in Brooklyn. It's not the best neighborhood. It's uh, very underserved. Um, so to make it out of an environment like that, you are constantly just fighting to keep your mental intact. And I think that was something that he learned growing up. Um, you know, he went to really good schools. His parents made sure that they put him in schools outside the neighborhood so he can experience other people, experience different things. Um, and so I think that was the initial part of it, but what made it so perfect was that people actually poured into him when he didn't feel like he should, like he didn't deserve it or he wasn't big enough. So even when he had just one artist, you have people like Chris Lighty, like you have people like uh, Butch Lewis who gave him his first chance. And Butch Lewis was like, you know, a mega giant, but he's like, oh, I'm going to take these guys and I'm going to show them the ropes and had him working at Death Jam. And this is he to him. He's just a kid from the project. So he's like, oh, wow. So once he got around certain people and in certain environments, he always picked up lessons. He always learned things. And I think when he finally came to the realization, like, I'm here now, like, this is me. I, I think he just wanted to give that back because there's always going to be that kid whose life you're going to change from one sentence, you know. And he really believed that. So it was a great transition to see him go from um, someone who was grinding and trying to make it and then seeing him realize that 
I'm here, I've arrived, and then immediately turn back around and start giving everything he had to help everybody else. Maya Angelou, all like her big famous thing is she says, you know, you don't remember how, what people say, you remember how they make you feel. Mm -hmm. And I just remember reading in the wake of his passing, everyone's comments about mm -hmm. how he made them feel and the impact he made. And you're like, that is like, you know, too short of a life, but a life so well lived. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like, just like never lost sight of the point and like what is true. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that, you know, brought me peace was that the relationship we had embodied a lot of like how I try and live my life, which is like, I'm the type of person I don't, I've always had a weird, keen sense of mortality. I don't assume that we have time. And so I try and speak to people in a way that if it is the last time I've said everything I wanted to say. And the one thing that brought me peace was our last conversation was I just told him, I was like, I appreciate you so much. I love you, thank you. And that's how we always spoke to each other, was like a depth of appreciation and gratitude that I know it's not unique to me, I know that's how he is with everyone, but it was something that I was like, at least there was never anything left unsaid. At least he knew the gratitude and the depth of gratitude I had for him. Yeah, and I think that's a beautiful thing. I mean, um, see now you're gonna get me. <laughs> It's, uh, I, I try to do that too, and that is definitely a quote that we would say because, like I said, we were both becoming professionals and we both firmly believe in integrity um, and building respectful relationships and not using people and not like, you know, trying to get over on people. And so that Maya Angelou quote is something that we even taught our children. Um, I didn't think that it would be something that I would have to consider now, now that he's not here. But um, it was also a great transition to see him go into that mode too, you know, because when I met him, like I said, he was from Brownsville. He wasn't the most communicative of emotions. He was very you know, guarded off and walled in. But um, as he gotten older, I guess he realized that, yeah, you should tell your friends that you love them. You should, you know, tell your wife she's beautiful every day and tell your kids you love them. And I think one of the, oh, one of the most prominent memories that I'm going to have is my daughter saying to a church full of people, stop telling me I don't know how much my father loves me. I know. And I was just like, that broke me up. <laughs> it's a blessing, though, because when you live your life like that, then people do know how you feel about them and you don't leave anything unsaid because tomorrow is not promised. We want tomorrow to happen. I love tomorrows, but they don't always come. So you should definitely let people know how you feel about them and just try to be the best human that you can be and leave a good impression on the world. You know? Well, that's the thing. It's like the footprint of his life is so vast. And it was just like, you know, even my, my parents read all the articles and they were like, wow, your manager just sounds like such an amazing person. And I was like, he is like he was like, I mean, I truly like won the lottery. Yeah.
yeah, we all did. <laughs> so, so grief, um, we talk a lot about grief on this podcast because I think it's something that, you know, people don't know how to process, handle, or be specifically when mm-hmm. other people are going through tough moments. How, how have you been doing? Um, I think I've been doing pretty good. Um, not mentally. I'm not saying that I mean, I'm a mate, like I feel great, but I have been checking in with myself a lot and just processing things a lot. I'm, I'm shocking myself at how I'm going through this because if you would have asked me what and how I would be, if this happens, I would tell you that y'all would have needed to put me in an insane asylum. <laughs> and initially, that's how I felt. But um, I think because of the way that we both live our lives and the things that we used to say to each other and the conversations that we used to have, there was a point where I was just like, yo, get up. What are you doing here? Get up. Get out of the bed. Go take a shower and do something. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to smile. It's okay to, like, you know what I mean? He wouldn't want me. He's seen me in, in like, depressed modes, right? I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. I go up and down all the time. Um, and one of the things he would say is, like, get up. <laughs> and I just kept hearing that in my head. And so I, I got up. But I also started to busy myself. And I got to the point where I looked at my calendar and I was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> and... And it brought me back to a conversation we had a few years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, um, when his friend passed away. And that's when he just dove into his work. And I was like, you can't do that. Like, you have to sit down and process this. And so just having those experiences helped me deal with this now. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I think at the beginning of February, I was like, oh, my gosh, why do I feel so crazy why do I feel so horrible and I was like oh it's only been two months you should probably go lay down take a rest it's okay if you mess something up it's okay if you don't remember something it's okay if you're not calling people and say happy birthday and you know all of the things because it got to a point where I was literally like consoling people and like saying like you know it's gonna be okay and they're like how are you telling me this and I'm I don't know how else to be. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> like every time I speak to you and, you know, you get emotional, I feel so bad. I just want to hug you. But you'll probably be like, Kim, what are you doing? No, it's it's I, <laughs> you know? I am like also very OK with emotion. I'm like, I think a lot of us suppress it. And I think it's important to mm-hmm. let it be visible. Um, yeah. And it's like it's, the, you know, that just it's just an expression of my heart. Right. It's another expression of our hearts when we are sad. And I don't mm-hmm. think there's anything wrong with honoring sadness in the same way we honor happiness. I don't think life is all good all the time. I just think it's a lot to navigate, but I'm happy to hear you're checking in with yourself and also like honoring that, you know, rest and processing and being like not numbing yourself with life. Because I mean, I'm sure there's a piece of it that's also like a survival mode because you have two daughters and you have to be a mother and you don't, you know, it's not like it's just you and your grief, you have to like, you know, hold everything together. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, I'm definitely a different person than I was obviously um, a few months ago because that survival mode was something that scared me too. 
I have been in survival mode for a while. I mean, I don't want to say from childhood, but definitely in a portion of my adulthood, I was in survival mode. I had to figure out how I was going to pay bills and how I was going to feed Brooke. And Claire wasn't around yet. But, you know, there was just those times where things were really serious. And after working so many years and after him working so many years, when we finally got out of survival mode, when he passed, it was just like, here we go again. But I've made a promise to myself to not look at it like that because then that's when you get super stressed and you start making decisions out of desperation that are unnecessary. And, you know, so I definitely had to have a talk with myself about that. I was like, no, this is not survival mode. You're not back there. You're not back in the place where you were. We've like I said, worked really hard over these past couple of years and we've created a life for ourselves responsibly that everything just won't come tumbling down on you. It is totally fine. You can take a month off, breathe, cry, scream, do all the things. I mean, New Year's Day, I went into my garage and I threw every single last wine bottle in my house at the wall (laughs) because that was our anniversary and I just got so upset. Like, this is not supposed to be my life, right? You have those, I have those human moments, but that definitely helped me. So there's things that you're going to go through. There's ups and downs, there's extremes, there's lows, there's all the things, but you just have to go with the flow, I guess. Yeah, be present. So that's what I've just been doing. Yeah, exactly. Be present in the moment. I think you said something really valuable, which is, when we sort of have old, like the old feelings or the old stories come up about ourselves to remember that it's not the same time, it's a different story. So even though like the fear of survival mode came back in, the reality is it's not the same place. It, and that's that's such a good thing for people to remember. I just think it's like really important because it's like we tend to just, you know, it's like really easy to go back to that fear-based zone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because especially when you're in that uh, weakened state, right? Your mind is not uh, transmuting. <laughs> um, so you're, you, you, de- you go back to old norms. But then when you think about, like I said, all of the hard work that you've done, to then that means mentally, financially, spiritually, you can't go back there. I'm not that girl anymore. I'm not the girl who has to worry about certain things. And I'm grateful for that. And I would be doing myself a disservice if I did, because now I'm jumping back into a body that I left a long time ago. Um, so it's, it's just a matter of keeping, I don't want to say keeping your spirits up, but just being in the moment, being present and checking in with yourself and saying, okay, what do I need right now? And you list out what you need in your head do I have those things? It's like, yeah, you have them. It's like, all right, what are you? You're good. You're safe. Safe space. Calm down. <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty much how I process things. It's really sounds very healthy, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, the only unhealthy thing I do is drink a lot of wine. There's a lot of wine. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you need, everyone needs one vice. Drinking's my only vice, too. So I, I get it. I'm like, it's my one thing. Yes. <laughs> Especially after I pick the kids up from school, I'm like, all right. <laughs> wine o'clock. So, but wine o'clock, definitely. Um, but, you know, even with that, 
I have had to fall back a little bit, especially since I did start working again. So it's like, you know, I have to wake up at a certain time in the morning. There's nobody here to take the kids to school. You got to get up <laughs> before they come poke you like, oh, mom. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm glad I, I kind of scale back on that too. <laughs> well, I think it's, I mean, I think it's everyone needs a little, whatever your version of like a moment of escape, everyone deserves that as long as it doesn't become mm-hmm. the reality. Is there anything that happened through this process that like you felt like someone said the right thing? Because I think grief is so hard to know what to say or how to show up. Was there anything that you were like, that's the right thing to say and this is the wrong thing to say? Um, there were a few people who actually said things that were, I was like, wow, I'm going to use that. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, but because I never know what to say to someone when somebody like close to them passes. And I always just wind up leaving that one, I'm sorry for your loss, but I hate when people say that. I know that that's just the polite thing to say. Um, and it's, I'm great, grateful that people have said anything at all, right? Um, there were a few people, there was like more than five who had just amazing words to say that were helpful. And I don't think they were necessarily um, the whole, like, you know, he's always with you or I'm talking about people who really were just like, you know, this is your story, right? Um, this is just like a summation. And even though you didn't want this to be in your story, you still have to live your life. And this is a moment for you to now step into your total greatness. And that came from a few people. Um, And it was very powerful because that's what I was thinking. So it was just like a reassurance mostly. But it felt good to hear somebody else say it and it not just be in my head. Um, I have another um, friend who introduced me to his aunt. Her husband passed 11 years ago. She has four children. Um, He passed in a car accident, so it was very sudden. And she's been talking to me and, you know, just keeping me sane whenever I need her to. Um, And my friends, my friends are amazing. They're so amazing. Uh, When there's a moment where I'm just, like, losing it, I pick up the phone and I call them. And my best friend, she actually thanked me for calling her. And that made me cry even more because I'm like, why are you being so nice? (laughs) But no, she was like, thank you for, you know, including me in this process. Thank you for not sitting in grief alone. Thank you for recognizing that you do need somebody and you do need help. And I'm happy that I'm that person. So there's been a a lot of moments where people are just saying the most beautiful words. Um, Then you have the people just like, how did he die? Like, what? (laughs) That's kind of (laughs) rude. I mean, I get that that's a question because, you know, but. No, it's just it's just more about. Yeah, like voyeuristic (laughs) rather than being in the moment. It's not about that. There's no compassion there. It's just like, oh, well, well, how did you die? It's like, you got to (laughs) chill. You can't be that nosy. Um, So there's, yeah, other than that. There hasn't been anything bad. Um, I don't typically read comments on Instagram anyway or YouTube or 
with all, all the socials. So I don't see anything that's not healthy and not helpful um, to me and the kids. But um, there's just been a large outpouring of love and respect and admiration. And it's it was a little overwhelming at one time. But now I'm just like, you know, this is what, what he built. <laughs> it is what he built. Wear it on your shoulder. I wish, you know, like we have this digital sort of like, I guess, like, you know, book, but it's almost like I wish you had all the all those comments in like letter form because they're just so like rich and they're so true to his spirit. And so it's just like the eulogy is much bigger than just, you know, the physical funeral. It's like a now has a global footprint. Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely have something in mind. I don't want to say what it is yet, but when I put it all together, you will be one of the first people to know about it. But I think that because he had such a big social presence, I don't think we should just let that go away. You know what I mean? I think it should be captured. And I know a way that he would appreciate it to be captured in. So I'm going to work um, on that with a couple of friends and see what we come up with. But I think it's going to be awesome. <laughs> well, let me know if you need any support. I'm obviously in. I will. Definitely will. What are three things, or like maybe not three, whatever you can think of, that you just really loved about him? Oh, my gosh. Um... Denise, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> um, well, one of the things I do love and appreciate was he always wanted to smell nice for me. <laughs> he used to wear the most horrible cologne. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I remember I was um, working at this restaurant and I walked past this man. And he, his, the cologne he had on just made me like physically stop walking. And I was like, what are you wearing? <laughs> and so he told me what it was and I went and bought it the same day and I gave it to him. I was like, I bought you a present. So he was like, oh, this smells good. And I think after that, he just was like, Pum. so he always had the best scent. I mean, even if he came back from the barbershop, he smelled good. He just always like. And I'm a tourist, so my senses are very important. I will always go, mm, <laughs> you know? So that was one thing I loved. I loved his attention to detail. Um, I love that he always, 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 no matter what, tried to be as romantic as possible. Um, so I'm very spoiled in that way. Like, I didn't just get roses or flowers. Like, he would send me a bouquet of flowers, and then on the card, there would be a um, timestamp of a show. So I have to go on Netflix, find the show, find the timestamp, and then see what they say. And what they said was like, you know, oh my God, you're like, you, there would be some type of beautiful line or beautiful comment. Um, yeah, I mean, whenever he left, he sent flowers or plants or just not even like gifts, you know what I mean? They were very well thought out things because he genuinely just liked to see me open it and go, oh, my God, what is this? <laughs> so um, that's something I definitely miss. And um, I just loved his character, you know, 
there was something about him that you could just tell that he wasn't going to waver from his values and how he felt things should be. Um, you know, of course, when I got pregnant with Brooke, we were just dating. We weren't engaged. We weren't talking about any of that. But I remember being a 24-year-old girl, been with this guy for two or three years, and now I'm pregnant, right? So I'm like, oh, my God, I got to tell him. <laughs> but because of his character and because of what he had shown me in those years, there was nothing in me that said he's going to run. Like, you know what I mean? I felt firm in that, and I think that's powerful when you can – at such a young age, show someone else, like, I mean what I say, and I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. And, you know, it, his character was very, very powerful. Um, it's something that no matter what, whether I liked him or not, <laughs> um, it always, it was always the thing that made me know it was going to be okay, you know? Um, we've had moments, we've had ups and downs, like I said, but that was just the most powerful part of him. And I was happy to see him step into that because I don't think he knew that when we were younger. I think he just, you know, he's just started realizing that he had power in that way. Now, that's the thing I loved most, too, was that there was a lot of integrity. There was a lot of, like, someone who just like did the right thing, which in the world we live in is unfortunately increasingly more rare. And, you know, also in the music industry, frankly, it's not an easy place to be the best version of yourself. And he sort of led the way in that capacity. And I just know, like, as you guys matured into your relationship, I mean, he did not take you for granted for a second. Mm-hmm, yeah. He, he knew I wasn't playing with him. <laughs> well, I no, mean, he, um, he was funny. It was like one of the first things I talked about when I met him was you and your kids. And it, the way he spoke about you was like really special. And I think that a lot of people are in relationships, but not everyone's in a healthy relationship, nor are they in a relationship that grows over time well. And you guys did that really beautifully. Like, you know, you went from being kids to being adults and building a family and a life and a legacy together. And you did it in a way that I think is very hard to do. Yeah, it, it definitely is, especially when you are dealing with a male in the music industry. Um, going on tour. There's so many <laughs> things going on tour. <laughs> there's so many things that can happen, that will happen, that did happen. That did, There's so many things. But I think, like I said, that character is what held everything together because we both have strong personalities for one, and two, um, just knowing that this person that you're with has the same goal as you, and they won't deviate from that goal, and neither will you, there's a stability in that that will allow for you to conquer the world. Um, you know, he was able to travel all over the place and not have to worry about anything. Like, there were days, Denise, where... We would wake up, take the kids to school, and that's at 9 o'clock. By 12 o'clock, he's like, I have to go to L.A. When? Tonight. What? <laughs> and the first time it happened, I was like, well, how? <laughs> you know, but eventually it was just it was just a thing, you know, and I'm just like, go get him. 
you know? So just having two people who have the same drive, the same work ethic, the same ethos, like you said, it it definitely makes things better. And then also communication is very, very important. Um, and these are all things that we learned on the job. This was my first and only relationship as an adult. I met Hove when I was 20. And we were dating by the time he was at my 21st birthday party. You know what I mean? So after him, there was nobody else. I didn't know how to have a boyfriend. I definitely didn't know how to have a husband. <laughs> but and, and same for him. He didn't, you know, the whole girlfriend thing was cute. And then it was just like, all right. It's like, no, 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 no. You have a girlfriend. <laughs> and now it's like, oh, no, 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 no. You have a wife. Hello. You have to check in with people. You have to tell me what plane you're on. Like, you know. So it's when you go from being an independent person, an independent, strong personality having person, to now being in a relationship and you have to not report, but kind of like, yeah, like come coexist. together with this other person. Yeah, it's like, oh, so I was supposed to tell you that? Oh, sorry. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, it's it a lot of adjustments that you have to make and then continually make, right? Because. Yeah. Careers change, but also we change. And so accepting people as they are in every step of a marriage is a lot easier said than done. Like, I think it must be incredibly hard as people change to still, you know, grow together. Right. Yeah, definitely. Especially when you're going through major life events like having children. And I don't and I didn't know how much having a child changed you because I had never had one before. But. Um, after that, we started having children, and then I'm worried about certain things, and he's still out, not gallivanting, but like, you know, he's working, but then he's partying, and it's like, hey, um, you need to focus, because I have to do X, Y, and Z, and you're taking your free time and doing this. No, 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 no. You got to come home. You got to help. <laughs> and so, especially at, so that kind of coincided with the takeoff of his career, right? So now we have two toddler, well, we have a toddler and an infant, but now you're getting MTV jams of the week. So you want to go out and celebrate and hang out with your friends and your artists and do all the things. And it's just kind of like, I'm sorry, but now is not the time. Like, I'm going to hold it down to an extent, but you're going to help me. You're going to help us get to where we need to be. So there was a lot of push and pull. There were a lot of growing pains. Um, and unfortunately, this is something that makes me, that tears me up inside. We had really just started to find our stride. Um, so, you know, that felt, the last two years have been amazing. We had just bought a new home. He got to watch me decorated and he would always like, oh, that's really nice. And I would come to him like, oh, what do you think about this? And he would like, he would pick the wrong thing all the time. <laughs> and I would just be like, okay, and buy something else. <laughs> he had no... No idea what he was doing, but, you know, it was still great to see, um, you know, great to see him go through that experience and the both of us figuring all of this stuff out because neither one of us has ever owned a home before. So, you know, it, it it's painful when you think about it like that. So I try not to. Um, I try to look at all the good aspects, but these last two years have definitely been amazing and I'm glad I even got to experience them even though it was taken away. So I think about, you know, Brooke and Claire and 
it's a big, obviously, probably very challenging for them. Like when we're kids, we don't have the same emotional tools we have or hopefully cultivate as adults. Right. Like, has that been a hard adjustment for you as a mother to witness? Has it, are they, how are they doing? They are, they're doing fine. But I can see how, like when I look at Brooke, she looks a little bit older. When I look at Claire, she looks a little bit older. Um, with kids, I think that trauma doesn't hit them right away. It's progressive. And so while I can say to you, hey, your dad is gone, and you cry, you're going to bounce back from that at the time, right? Right? Because that's what happened. And Claire went, she was like, I, I just want to play. She went downstairs and she played. And then Brooke was just like, I just want to be by myself. Like, you know, I can still see where, and it it tears me up inside, like, honestly, um, where the moments where he would have stepped in for something and he's not there to do it. Brooke really just, like, she wears it all over her face. Like, um, he used to take them to school every morning. So that car, that first car ride to school after he passed, it was just like, you know, so it's, there's things that constantly remind them just the same with me, but I think it's even more prominent with them because they had a lot of little moments with him. He always made sure he spent time with them. I didn't realize until a few months ago that he was sneaking them to McDonald's after school. Cause I don't, I don't eat McDonald's. <laughs> So he would pick them up from school and then they would go to McDonald's. So I think one day, and this is when he was still alive, I picked them up from school and they're like, where's daddy? And I was like, oh, he had a meeting. You know, I think he was doing like a Zoom call or something. So I had to come get you. So Claire was just like pissed off. And I was like, okay, fine. I won't come pick y'all up anymore. Y'all interfering with my day anyway, right? And so... Then once another time it happened, well, no, another time he went to go pick them up and they just took a really long time to get home. And I was just like, what are they doing? It's because he used to take them to like Chick-fil-A or McDonald's and they would eat it in the car, throw it out outside. <laughs> Your, their secret ritual. Yeah, and so now at dinner, I'm like, hey guys, it's time to eat dinner. Like, We're not hungry because they've been eating McDonald's. <laughs> So, you know, there's just like, you know, moments like that that I will never even, I'm sure if they were doing that, they were doing other stuff. But there's just moments that I wouldn't even know about that might trigger them and make them sad. But, you know, I just definitely try to um, show them that grieving is okay. Um, I don't hide away when I'm grieving. And if I'm sad, then I'll just be sad in front of them. If I find that they're sad, I'm like, you know, do you want to talk about it? And some days they're like, yeah, I want to talk about it. And other days they're like, no, I just don't. But, um, like, I cried in front of Brooke the other day. I don't cry in front of people at all. <laughs> it's not because I, like, no, no, it just yeah. won't come out. Yeah, I used to and be so, that way. Um, now, as you can tell, I can't stop. So Yeah, I get, I get dewy. I'm not going to sit here and say I'm not. You won't see me tear up. But, like, a full-on bubble snot cry, I'm not. <laughs> but, um. You know, I had gotten frustrated the other morning and I'm driving and there's just like tears rolling down my face. 
and I didn't hurry up and wipe them away. And and Brooke looked over at me, and I looked over at her, and I was just like, "Bad morning." <laughs> so you know, but they have to see that you, I get emotional, so that they know that it's okay to get emotional, because kids really take on how you emote, and that's what they will carry on into life. Um, also, therapy. <laughs> so yes, yes. yeah. They start next week. I'm so excited because there's things that you don't want to tell your mom, but you'll tell someone else. And I don't care as long as you tell someone and they are qualified to help you process the feelings that you have so that you don't turn 30 and have 30 cats in your apartment or some craziness. (laughs) (laughs) Not on Kim's watch. (laughs) Right, like just it just it because it manifests itself in weird ways. So now you have this deviant behavior at forty five, and you can't figure out why. It's because you never processed your dad's death at twelve, you know. And I, I like to believe that I'm an emotionally intelligent person, and I want my children to be the same way. So no, it's a very important tool to work through like your stuff. I just think if you have the privilege and the opportunity, it's like everyone should have someone like they can speak to that's like, you know, it's, it's different with friends. There's different boundaries. You can't just, you know, it's a different thing. It's, it's, I mean, changed my life. Therapy completely changed my life. So I'm obviously a big proponent of it. It helped me um, a lot deal with a lot of stuff that I even know, you know, because as you said earlier, which is trauma takes a long time to take hold when you're younger. And I had a relationship in my 20s that took me like, eight years basically, like eight years later, I was like, I have all this unresolved stuff that I just sort of bypassed because I was in survival mode. I'm just living, I'm working. And when it came up later, I was happy that I had a place to go work through it because it was something that I didn't even know that I was carrying. Right. Yeah. And then you spew that onto other people because <laughs> hurt people hurt people, right? Yeah. Or in and my so case, you now- keep dating, you know, unavailable people. Yeah. And then you're like, why is this happening? Right. Because you apparently like this sort of thing, but let's figure out why. Yeah. So I always, I have my therapist cracking up every week because I'm like, why are you yelling? (laughs) And she's like, do you want to explore why you feel like, no, leave me alone. (laughs) Why do I keep calling you? (laughs) But no, it's good to like highlight those things and work through them and so that way you don't keep making the same decisions. You do something different. You get a different result. And the result, hopefully, is peace and happiness, right? <laughs> so, yeah. What would you want? I have two questions. So one, what would you want, like, people that know him or don't know him, how can we contribute to keeping his legacy alive? I think that would look like people living in their truth. I think it looks like living with integrity. And I think it looks like treating people with respect and respecting yourself. Um, He was a very hard worker uh, and he worked hard because he wanted to make sure that we had a, a beautiful life. Nothing less than that. Um, but on the way, I think he was so grateful for having the opportunity to do so that he gave so much of himself and that can only be replaced by everyone else giving to everyone else. Um, I see it a lot every day. I see, you know, 
friends of his that didn't even know each other that just met because he passed, helping each other out. They're building relationships with each other. Um, he was really like the glue for a lot of things. So I really just want people to know that that's what he admired in people. He admired people who respected others and respected themselves. He admired people with integrity and he admired people who wanted to create and live a beautiful life for their family. So I think that would be a good way to keep his legacy going. I love that. Is there anything you know that he wanted to accomplish that didn't happen? Um, there's so many things. I want to say a Grammy, but I can't sit here and say that he cared that much. <laughs> he would always say he didn't care. Well, because <laughs> he was building an independent, goal, right? a, he was building an independent yeah. legacy, which you know is the future of music. Was building a whole different way to become a musician right. and be sustainable in the in the economy. And the Grammys are a piece of it, but the Grammys also are emblematic of an old system that doesn't. Frankly, that, you know, has... But he would have stood on stage and took it. <laughs> yes, he yes he would have. And I agree. <laughs> he would have like, thank you very much. <laughs> I believe no, it he wasn't like, deserves a Grammy uh -huh. more than one. Yeah, he definitely did. He definitely did. And um, so I don't think that that was like the main goal, right? But that, was, that would definitely be something that he would have been very happy about. No doubt. Um, he had so many projects in the works. He had... So many things going. Um, one thing he was very, very proud of, and I know that he wanted to see go to its heights, was his teaching. He loved being a professor. So um, that's something that I'm, I definitely have to keep going. Like, I'm not going to drop that. Whenever I can get that class going again or do anything with that, I will. Um, and I do plan on creating some type of scholarship fund or something because he loves to help children from his neighborhood. He did the toy drive every year. Like he just liked giving back to kids that didn't, that were overlooked. Cause I feel like he felt like he was overlooked a lot. And um, like I said, it, it takes one sentence to change someone's life. And so I think he always took that opportunity because he just knew that if, hey, if I do it a hundred times, I might change 10 lives and inspire those people to do something different with their life. So that's definitely something I'm going to keep going for him, no matter what. Yeah, just give with zero expectation just to give. And that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Like you don't know the magic of giving is that sometimes we see the loop close, other times we don't, but when you see the loop close, it is one of the most like nourishing human moments I think we can have. Um, he actually got to see that uh, for his birthday, I think, so he passed the week after his birthday. But one of the students from the class had hit him up. Um, <laughs> and it was so funny because I used to help him like behind the scenes with the class. And so there was this one guy and he always, uh, he was a gamer. So he wanted to do something in gaming and hip hop. And, you know, I'm familiar because I have a, a friend who is a hip hop gamer. And I was like, well, I was going to be, I said, you should watch out for him because that's going to be interesting because there is a space for that. 
So he just really was trying to figure out how to incorporate the information that he was gaining from the class into what he wanted to do. And he actually had an event in Brooklyn, I believe, in October. And he was so excited to let Jovain know. He told him about the event. It went well. He thanked him. And he sent that to me. He was like, wow, look at this. I was like, oh, he did it. Like, you know, we were both excited. But it was good to see him get to close the loop. Because this was one of the students that was just completely unconventional. It's like, I don't know how to help you be a hip-hop gamer. <laughs> so, yeah. And those moments you take and they boost you up. They give you confidence. Because even though we are, right, creators, right, and we are giving our creations and our art to people, it's always good to see, and our talent, it's always good to see how that affects someone else's life. Because we still need a confidence boost, too. We might be in a lull, too. And that gives you the confidence to go out and create more and do more of what your talent is and give more to more people. So it's a good good circle to be in. That's beautiful. And I also want to just mention two weeks before he passed, he also was named one of Billboard's top 40 mm -hmm. hip-hop power players. And so there was a lot of um, beautiful moments for him, I guess, before before he left us. I was just going to say again, I'm just really happy that, you know, those things started to happen for him. But it's also bittersweet because now it's just like, damn, you were getting there. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I think, you know, I felt the same. I was like, it broke my heart on so many levels. But one of them being that, like, he was starting to really see the, all the fruits of his labor for a long time. Right. Right. Exactly. So at the end of this podcast, we should do like a rapid fire little section. What I'd like to do this time is sort of spin it a little bit for the sake of our episode. Um, and I'm going to pose these questions, but if you could, I'd love you to answer them from what you think Hove would say. Oh, my gosh. This is something that I try to do every single day, and I don't think I get it right at all. It's okay. <laughs> it's not about getting it right. It's about just like whatever, whatever you, you mean, you know him the best. So... Yeah. What do you That's think? That's how I'm going to get it wrong. No. <laughs> what do you think he would tell his 20-year-old self? Um, he would tell his 20-year-old self to keep going in the direction that he's going in. I think he would tell his 20-year-old self that he's going to be fine. And I think he would tell his 20-year-old self to not keep people so long. Like when you see people for who they are, believe in that and move accordingly by any means necessary. That's a really good one. What do you think the best piece of advice he ever got was? Oh, no. I know the answer to this. Oh. I've heard him say this so many times and I can't remember. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, uh. the best piece of advice he ever got was don't be afraid to say no. That's what it is. Don't be afraid to say no. If you can't do something, say no. Say absolutely not. <laughs> don't you know, play around with the wording, just say no. <laughs> 
that's a very, Hove had really good boundaries. It's another thing he had that was really good, really good boundaries. That's a really good piece of advice. Thank Kim, I can't even express to you how much it means to me that you trusted me with this space to do this, um, to share the love we have for him with people. Um, and this is, you know, for me, he lives with me. Everything I do now is like with his spirit. And so I'm just like immensely grateful to you. Thank you so much. I'm grateful to you also. Like I said, I wouldn't have done this with anyone else. I always feel completely comfortable with you. I get, I think we share that energetic, you know, love because from the moment that we haven't even met each other in person. I know yet. it's crazy. <laughs> it's, we will one day. I'm going to give you the biggest hug. I know. Yeah. But no, I know that I can always reach out to you. And sometimes I, I have, and you know, you've just always been a great support for our family and the girls and just making sure that, you know, our mental was okay. Like I said, during quarantine, that meant a lot to me because it was a rough time. And I appreciate the love that you have for Hovain. And I am so happy and privileged that I got to share him with you. I want you to know I will always be here for you and your family. I love you guys very much. Um, thank, and you. thank you. We love you too. <laughs> Kim, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This meant the world to me. So thank you. No problem. Thank you too. <laughs> See, I'm crying. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. It really does mean the world to me. If you could take some time to subscribe, not only to our audio channel, which you can find anywhere that podcasts can be found, but also our YouTube with all of our video episodes. If you can subscribe, rate and review, it would make such a huge difference to us. I want to give a big, big thank you to Parentheses Produced, Wine Designs Media, Young Spielberg and Young Scorp Consulting. This really couldn't happen without any of them. This really is the little pod that could. Thank you guys so much and see you next week.